So Holy Spirit, I ask that you open your word to us, help us to understand it, help us to apply it to our lives. Lord, we know that you can set us free, so we ask that you would do that through your word. Pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I want to welcome those of you who are watching on the podcast. Welcome to all of you. Great to have you here. Just before I preach, I want to just, uh, it's that time of year, so I want to just say to the men, Men's Fraternity is going to start again. If you don't know what that is, it is a program designed to help us be better men, husbands or boyfriends, leaders, fathers, and it really works. And uh, I've, nothing I've done in ministry works quite like this, quite as well. Get tons of thank yous all the time from men and women, uh, the women in their lives, because it just changes stuff. And older guys always say the same thing. Wish I'd done this when I was in my 20s or 30s. So you younger guys, be there. The quicker you get this into your life, the better it's going to be. Jesse Rice and I will be kicking it off Wednesday, September 25th. It'll when we will start again. Uh, a morning session or an evening session, you pick, so no excuses. Bring a friend. It's Christian, but it's not super churchy, so anyone would feel welcome there. All right, plug over, sermon starts. As I have shared with you on a couple of occasions, my dad's dad, my grandfather, was an abusive man who deserted the family, and they, after that, they just kind of didn't know where he was. He just left, just disappeared. It was behavior in some ways that he had learned from his father, who had actually spent a little bit of time in jail. So my family, we are an episode of Cops, right? Like reality TV before there was TV. Well, so my dad ended up being raised in poverty. At, at times, they didn't have a home. They had to squat in abandoned houses. Well, years later, after I had been born, my grandfather suddenly reappeared. My dad was a teacher, so my grandfather just showed up one day in my dad's classroom. My dad hadn't seen him since my dad had been a kid. Just showed up. My dad, my dad said, hey, look, class, I think that's my dad. Well, from then on, my grandfather would visit very occasionally. I saw him maybe six, seven times in my life. Well, right after I first got engaged, he wrote a letter to my wife-to-be, not to me, to her. And in it, he said, if Scott loves you, then I love you. Oh, ick. <laughs> right? and, and then he said, we Dudleys aren't perfect, but we are interesting. Indeed, Grandpa. And then he said, and I've done some genealogical study, and for 17 generations in our family, the oldest son of the oldest son has always been named Eugene for 17 generations. And that's true. I'm the oldest son of an oldest son. My dad's name is Eugene. My middle name is Eugene. So my grandfather said in this letter to my wife-to-be, so if you have a son, for my sake, please name him Eugene. Okay, is that chutzpah or what? Like, that just takes a lot of God. My wife brought it to me and said, who is this man? No, my grand never, just forget it. I think that story says a lot about our lives and the way that our lives leave ripple effects around us, for good or for ill, and about our desire to have those ripples, our legacy, count, have it matter. My grandfather was concerned about his legacy of eugeneness or eugenics or whatever it would be. Now, when I say the word legacy, some of you might just kind of want to tune me off because we think legacy, that's, especially if you're young, we think, oh, that's for when you die. But, but, but the reality is, as we move through life, we're like a water skier or a wake surfer, always creating ripples around us that have either positive or negative influence on people in our office or school or neighborhood. And those ripples start now and then go out into the future. And understanding that can help us have greater meaning, purpose, and joy, and better relationships right here, not just after we die, but, but right now. So don't tune me out. 
Besides, I bet some of you are wondering, so did he name his son Eugene or not? I am going to tell you later, so you have to keep paying attention. Now, last week, I told you about how in ninth grade, I got labeled second least attractive guy in the whole school by a group of girls. And that had an effect. That left some insecurity in me until I realized how incredibly handsome I actually am, how ignorant those girls were. But, you know, for a season, those girls made a difference, right? They made a difference in my life. Who says you can't make a difference? But we can also make positive ripples. Now, you may ask, well, what's in it for me if I do? What's in it for me if I kind of create these positive ripples around me? What do I get out of it? Well, two things. First, better relationships. Some of us attended a leadership conference this summer, and one of the speakers named Patrick Lencioni told a story of a guy who got a job at a consulting firm, and he hated it. Long hours, nobody in the office talked to each other, no camaraderie, nobody ever said good job, bosses didn't talk to him, nothing. So he resigned. And when he did, his boss asked him, well, what could we have done to keep you longer? And the guy said, anything. I mean, when we have better relationships, bad relationships creates terribleness for everyone. When we, have be- when we create positive ripples, we have better relationships in our office, in our home, in our, with our friendships, all the way around. Better relationships. Second thing we get is the joy of knowing that our lives count for something, that we matter. I once saw a preacher give a demonstration where he put his finger in a glass of water, and then he took it out, and he said, as quickly as the water went back to where my finger was, that's how quickly you'll be forgotten after you die. It was meant to be motivating. (laughs) For what? I have no idea. Like, I'm so glad I came to church. I just feel the joy of Jesus. I so disagree with that. That's not how it is. We are more like rocks dropped into a pond and we create ripple effects all around us. And we all have this need to feel like those ripples that we matter, that we count. And I think the part of the proof of that is video games, which I know seems like a weird segue, but stick with me. I think part of the appeal of video games is we want to be on a team. We want to conquer a foe. We want to win a battle so we do it with our thumbs. And there's nothing wrong with that, but if that's the only way we feel like we matter, it's kind of sad. Because in the end, no one's really changed, nothing's really won, no generation is transformed. So the question is, how can I make positive waves, not just for the future, but now, for my sake, as well as for others? And it doesn't have to be some big thing we do. In fact, most of it is the way Jesus changes us and then works through us in ways that we maybe don't even know, little things. We're doing a sermon series called I'll Pretend You Didn't Say That. Looking at some of the challenging things that Jesus says that we tend to ignore. And the verses we read today come out of this longer section where Jesus is blasting the religious leaders called Pharisees for their hypocrisy. He calls them snakes and a brood of vipers and all kinds of other things. Because remember this, Jesus is good, but he's not polite. He's good, but he's not polite. Well, after he gets done blasting the Pharisees, then a teacher of the law, a scribe, a scholar, comes up to him and says, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. To which Jesus says, And you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens. I love that. Hey, Jesus, when you say that about the Pharisees, you kind of hurt our feelings too. Well, then woe to you too. And then Jesus goes on and he says, Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. That's a lot of responsible, isn't it? It's similar to another disturbing verse in the Old Testament 
where God says that he punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Has that verse ever bothered you? It doesn't seem fair, does it? Why should the kids get punished for what their parents and their grandparents did? And why is God doing the punishing? Why is he so into punishing? Well, let me talk about what these troubling verses mean and then go on to talk about some of the deeper implications for our lives. See, the Israelites felt that everything was under God's control, whether he actually sent it or allowed it. So another way of putting this verse would be that God allows the sins of one generation, just natural consequences to flow to other generations. The other thing is when it says that the children are punished to the third and the fourth generation, that's not necessarily linear. It might have been horizontal because three or four generations was the number of generations that would have lived in one house at that time. We had kids, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. So, yeah, in that case, what one generation does really can affect lots of generations. And we see this today, don't we? You know, kids are constantly picking up the dysfunctions, the, the misbehaviors, the addictions of their parents. You see that all the time. But Jesus is also making another point. We don't just inherit those negative legacies. We often become complicit in them, don't we? Jesus says, woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. That's a little confusing. Let me explain. Basically, what Jesus, Jesus is getting snarky here. He's getting sarcastic, and he's saying, you're hypocrites. You pretend to honor the prophets, but your actions show that you don't. Your ancestors killed the prophets. You make sure they stay in their tombs. And he's trying to show them that they're, that they're just as guilty as their ancestors. And you know, it is easy for us to think, isn't it? Well, I'm not going to be like my parents. Or if I had been back in such and such a time, I wouldn't have done what those people did. But truth is, we often repeat what we have received, don't we? Sometimes even as we try hard not to repeat it, we end up repeating it through the back door by overcompensating. Say, for instance, you felt distance from your parents because they never showed up at your game or whatever. And so you say, I'm not going to be like that. But then you overcompensate and get overly involved and become a helicopter parent. Your kids distance themselves and, and you end up kind of distant, same place, through the back door. Or maybe we grew up with a rageaholic parent and, and we have a terrible temper too, but we don't admit it. We, we say things like, I'm passionate. <laughs> I know one woman, she would always, when she, was, when she was angry, she'd always say, I'm not mad, I'm Italian. Right? Like, what's that got to do with it? Yeah, and her daughter would say, no, you're just mad. Don't blame Italy on this. That's why Jesus tells the Pharisees, y'all are just as guilty as your ancestors who killed the prophets. And the best evidence that he's, he's right is that they killed Jesus, right? The greatest prophet of them all. The ripple effects we create start now and can last generations. That's the bad news. It's also the good news. And the deeper meaning of these verses because the flip side of this is we can start a positive legacy that lasts. Let's look at one of those difficult verses again, where God says he punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me. Do you notice anything out of proportion in those verses? The negative ripple effects may extend three, four generations, but the blessing can go for a thousand and what is it about our culture that we focus on the third and fourth and the unfair part or the part that seems unfair? And we miss the main point of this verse, which is the blessing outweighs the punishment. God's desire is to bless, not to punish. Dysfunction, divorce, addictions, those may get passed down three, four generations, but God's blessing working through you can get passed down for a thousand. 
And what makes that possible is Jesus, who bore the sins of every generation. Ultimately, it's not the Pharisees who are held fully responsible for their sins of the ancestors or the children of the third and fourth generation. It's Jesus who bears the sin of every generation. And now we are made clean and whole and new and set free to create a positive legacy, positive ripples that make a difference now and in the future. So let me give some suggestions about how we cooperate with Jesus to become ripple makers for our own sake and others. Last week we talked about getting past your past. This is part two of that sermon, how to get into your present and a future. And Jesus is the one who empowers all this, but we gotta cooperate with him. So first, to make positive waves, we need to have a compelling vision. Decide right now what you want your life to be about, a good time or a good legacy? A good time or a good legacy? Legacy lasts longer. One of the ways my family got out of poverty is my grandmother had a vision that all six of her kids were going to go to college. That was a bold vision for a very poor woman, but she got her done and created a positive ripple effect. What's your vision? Write it down in prayer. Ask Jesus what to give you a vision for your life. Write a mission statement, or maybe if you're in a family, write a family mission statement with Jesus helping you. Second, identify and break generational sin. Ask Jesus to show you the ways that you're repeating sins and dysfunctions from your peers or from your family. Or maybe where you've accepted labels that have been put on you that are not true. And then ask him to break the power of those things because only he can. See, there's a spiritual dynamic at work here. And Jesus has the power to break that spiritual bondage. And we see that kind of freedom happening all the time in our inner healing prayer ministry. Folks are set free from all kinds of stuff through prayer and the power of Jesus. And if you need that, call, make a time to be with a prayer counselor. Identify those negative legacies. Confess the ways you've cooperated with them or accepted labels that aren't true. Break agreement with those things. Say it out loud. I break agreement with the lie that I'll never amount to anything like my teacher said. Or I break agreement with the spirit of divorce that's all throughout my family. I don't agree with that. When you do that, you send the devil running. And then choose to cooperate with Jesus as he helps you set new patterns and live a different way. As I said last week, sometimes you just got to get out of the sick tent. Jesus can give you the power, but you got to cooperate to set new patterns. So when my son was born, my wife and I had to decide, were we going to break 17 generations of tradition or were we going to stick with it? And I thought about it. I mean, 17 generations, that's a long streak, right? But in the end, I decided that my grandmother and dad had worked hard to stop the cycles of dysfunction that had plagued Dudleys for generations. They were the dam that held a tidal wave of crazy back from me. So I decided to create new Dudley traditions. And as the oldest son of the oldest son, I had the power to do it. It was all in my hands. No one else had the power to do it. So my brother had already given my name for his son's middle name. So when my nephew was little, he'd say, my name is Tyler Uncle Scott Dudley. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Right? So I decided when my son was born, I gave my brother's first name as my son's middle name, Bruce. I broke 17 generations of tradition in gratitude for what my grandmother and what my father had done and as a symbolic way of saying, I'm starting some new patterns. I'm going to form some new legacies. And just truth be told, I also have to admit, part of me also knew that it would really bug my grandfather, even though he was already dead at the time. Just, just my way of sticking it to the man. But most of my motives were good. Most of my motives were good. Just want you to know that. Here's the point. You can, I don't care what you've got. I, don't, I do not argue. I don't care how many generations you've got coming at you of stuff. 
You can switch it through the power of Jesus. You can break it. You can create a new pattern. You can create a new legacy. I know one guy whose mom constantly criticized his wife. Her way of trying to keep her son close to her and not to his wife. Finally, the son said, Mom, I love you. I want you to be a part of our life, but this isn't healthy, so here's how you're going to have to treat my wife if you're going to be around. Mom didn't talk to him for a year. Sent a snippy little note, and you're no longer my son and all that. But after about a year, mom came around, right? See, family systems are like mobiles. You know, you pull one string, change one thing, and everyone's, oh, God, yeah, and all kinds of chaos and despair. But eventually, you know, it all kind of settles out. But someone's got to make that change. Someone's got to pull that string. One of the things my wife has sometimes said to me in the past, when I'm worrying over something or angry over something little or getting overly emotional, she'll some, she has said to me sometimes in the past, I'm not getting on your roller coaster. Right? Like, you just ride your little roller coaster, Scott, all around, loop-de-loop, and I'll be here while you do it, but I ain't getting on. That may be the wisest thing you hear all day. You don't have to get on someone else's roller coaster. Have a vision. Identify and break generational sin. Third, identify the positives you've received from others. Because if all you focus on is the negative, you get depressed and you're, not, you're missing the positives that you can pay forward. And I don't care, how, no matter how messed up your past, there's something good back there somewhere. I heard a story about a little girl who asked her mom, where did people come from? And the mom said, well, God made Adam and Eve and that's where we all came from. A few weeks later, she asked her dad, and her dad said, well, you see, there were these monkeys, and God guided a process, and slowly the monkeys became people. The girl went back to her mom and said, Mom, I'm confused. Dad said that we came from monkeys, but you said that we came from Adam and Eve. And the mom said, oh, honey, that's easy. I was talking about my side of the family. (laughs) I liked it, too. No matter what your past, it is not all monkeys back there. There's something good. Find it so you can pay it forward. Fourth, focus on character more than reputation. Reputation is what others think of you. Character is what you really are. And character is what we pass on to others, isn't it? My predecessor here, Dick Leon, says, Scott, for better or for worse, over time, a church starts to take on the personality of the pastor. You're all like, time to go church shopping. We're like, out of here. Character is caught. It is not taught. Teachers pass on character to students. Coaches to their athletes. We all pass on character to our peers. Every parent has had the moment looking at their kid doing something, thinking, where did they get that? Oh, yeah. But that can be a good thing, too. I know one woman who was a little girl. When she'd wake up early in the morning, she'd see her dad reading the Bible and praying. Had a huge impact on her. One of the reasons my wife and I give money to this church is to show our kids that as a family, we want to be part of how Jesus is making all things new. It's also one of the reasons why we've left this church in our will, which you can do through our Legacy Foundation. If you want information, there's folks in the lobby after the service about that. Church is in our will so we can have that conversation with our kids about the values we have and how we want to make a difference even after we're dead. So no, kids, you don't get it all. Not that there's much there to get, but they don't get it all. Have a vision, break generational sin, identify positives, focus on character, and finally, create small daily ripples with Jesus. As I said, when we think of making a difference, we often think we've got to do something big. Oh, start a nonprofit or something like that. Ah, often the greatest impact we have is as people see Jesus at work in us, and then the little things he nudges us to do, we maybe don't even notice. Years ago, I told you a story about how before I was a Christian, I worked with a woman named Margie, who I made fun of for being a Christian. One day, I burned my arm very badly, and 
On her break, Margie went to the drugstore, bought some bandages and ointments and put it on my arm and just said, I know you think Christians are judgmental, but there's some of us who really care about you. Well, shortly after that, I quit working there, but that started a year-long process in me of exploring who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about that led to me becoming a Christian and eventually a pastor. Now, Margie never knew any of that. I never saw her again, and I quit working shortly after the Band-Aid thing. She doesn't know any of that, but in heaven, I'm going to hunt her down, and I'm going to say, Margie, if I ever did any good for anybody as a pastor, and I hope that I have, Margie, you did that. That was all you. See, she takes one 10-minute trip to the drugstore, and poof, I'm a pastor. (laughs) God multiplies our smallest acts and uses them to create ripples all around us. Slightest act of kindness in your school or office can ripple all over the place. Every time you resist temptation through the power of Jesus, you are creating a ripple effect of character for others. Every time you forgive, you're not just forgiving, you're reversing cycles of anger and bitterness. There's a successful attorney in our church in his 40s. I'll call him John. And several years ago, John asked if I knew anyone who could mentor him. He didn't have a great relationship with his dad. And he said, I just think I need a dad. I need need an older man to guide me. So I connected him with a retired man in our congregation, great follower of Jesus. And they they go golfing together and talk about life and work and marriage, all that. Well, this year, John took guitar lessons as a hobby. And a while back, he had a recital. It was going to be John, who's 43, and two nine-year-olds. So kind of a fun recital. And John told his mentor about it and said, you know, if you have time, stop by, but no big deal. And John forgot about it. But then on the day of the recital, as it got closer to the start, his, his mentor wasn't there, and John got upset. So he finally called his mentor and said, why aren't you here? Where are you? So his mentor didn't know he was supposed to be there, right? Scrambled and, and got over to the recital in time to see John play. John said, it surprised me how much I needed that. You know, I'm 43, but I didn't get that from my dad. I guess that that hole just never goes away. But it was a huge help to have my stand-in dad there. He came, and that meant the world to me. What makes that story even sweeter is for a variety of reasons, John's mentor has a difficult relationship with his own son, and he's working on that. But with John, he can have a positive father-son kind of relationship. Okay, there's a lot of negative, negative legacies there, right? Failure and broken relationship, all kinds of stuff, getting turned into positive legacies. And not through some big effort either, just showing up to a recital. And John gets healing and a sense of being loved and a stand-in dad. And the mentor, he's not just serving John, he gets to know that his life matters, that he's making a difference, he counts. And he gets a stand-in son to help heal some of his wounds. So this week, with Jesus, break some of that baggage from your past. Identify some good stuff you want to pay forward. Get a vision. Focus on your character. And have Jesus, let Jesus nudge you to do some small things that make ripples, that help other people, but also give you richer relationships and a sense of knowing that your life counts, that it matters, that unlike that demonstration with the finger in the water, the world will not just go on as if you weren't here. You have an impact. And you don't have to do it perfectly. You don't have to do some big, huge thing. You just have to let Jesus change you and then nudge you to do some small things with him that can create those positive ripples. And those ripples will bounce off other ripples and create more ripples until here a ripple, there a ripple, everywhere a ripple, ripple, right? And there'll be waves of mercy, waves of grace, waves of peace, waves of joy, not just for today, but for a thousand generations because of how Jesus is at work in you. So Jesus... Only you can do that. 
So break the chains from our past, the negative legacies we have received, Lord. Break those off of us, unbind us from those chains, and then, Lord, set us free for a future where we follow you, are changed by you, and are nudged by you to do those things that we may not even notice, but change a life, change a community, change a world. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.